Hello, everybody. This is Andrew Bray, your sound editor and son of your favorite podcast host, Barbara Bray. Hi, Mom. Hi, Andrew. I'm so glad we have this time together. <laughs> me too. Me too. I like, I like having this reason to connect outside of our personal work too. It's funny. I um, it can be dangerous to have a professional relationship with a family member, but <laughs> I feel like this works really well. <laughs> well, the cool thing is that you're now starting not only as a um, actor and musician, you're now learning to code and. That's kind of some of my background too. So, oh my gosh, no, yeah. What the audience is missing is I just spent a good half an hour, nerd, maybe more, nerding out about about the source code and the back end on one of my mother's projects. Which, for the first time ever, I know what that looks like, and it's very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty amazing. I oh mean, my gosh, I don't know all the new <laughs> things that you're doing, but it still is amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's been, I really enjoyed that time and I'm really excited for you to be Thanks. going through this. This is, it's a whole new adventure. I mean, that's the thing is, I mean, it connects to, well, you defining your why is my journey going into a really good coding boot camp. Uh, if anybody wants to know, I'll give them details later, um, <laughs> is about redefining my why and trying to, trying to own my life's narrative it more actively. So I'm feeling really connected with that right now. And I'm really excited. I'm so proud of you. It's not that Thanks. easy to start over, but it is. Pushaw. But, yeah. but I, see, one thing I, that I found is everything that you've already learned all the way up to now, that experience really helps build what you're doing and help you. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh you, yeah. You taught me so much just with the acting voice. I mean, I wouldn't be able to talk like this. <laughs> Without your help. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Now you get to be the soothing sounds of the Barbara Bray experience. <laughs> well, but moving on, um, I know that you've got a, a conversation coming up that you're really excited to share. Could you tell me a little bit about this upcoming conversation? Oh, gosh. Who, yeah. I, I, it's so cool. I met Tommaso Lana, and I call him Tom. <laughs> yeah. A lot easier. <laughs> but he's from Milan. Italy. And he, mm -hmm. the first time I, you know, he reached out to me and says, I'd love to be on your show. Can we talk? But are you okay? I have an Italian accent. And I'm like, I think I can handle that. Oh, darn. <laughs> <laughs> I just, and he's so sweet. And he's into, uh, you know, we recall this play and joy through embodied learning. That's his, uh, he's yeah. a, a creator of that, but he's a consulting artist and he does a whole thing on play and what, what uh, families can do at home. So he's already done a video with me, which was wonderful. It's just, anyway, I'm really excited that Tom could be here and be part of this. Oh, I'm so glad. Well, I'm really glad that folks, you get to stay tuned and listen to a conversation with Tommaso Lana and Barbara Bray. I met this amazing person. And I am so happy to have Tomasa Lana here. And I'm going to call you Tom. Okay. <laughs> and you told me I could call you Tom, right? Of course. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. And we've already had some, you know, some fun talking with each other, but we said we got to do more when he told me his story. So I'm going to share a little bit about you. 
I'm going to boast about you. Is that okay? Okay, Barbara. Thank you. (laughs) So Tom is a performance and consulting artist and creator of Embodied Learning. And I want, we're going to talk about that because there's so much I've learned from you about these things. And I've had several conversations with Tom and I'm really, really excited about sharing his journey from growing up in Milan about the German school and learning several languages. And oh gosh, wait till you hear. In every conversation, I'm feeling joy and so happy. I cannot wait to share your story, Tom, with my audience. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Barbara. Hello. Hello. (laughs) This is really fun. That's great. And you know, I mean, we had another talk and um, I got off and I was just had the, I was just so happy all day that this, I can't wait till they learn more about you. So I'd love you to just do um, a little bit about your background. Okay, so uh, as you hear from my accent, I am from Italy. I was born in Milan, Italy. I am 42 years old. That means my childhood was in the 80s, in one of the greyest cities in Europe with one of the largest heroin epidemics. So it's very interesting that I had to spend my childhood most of the time in protected spaces, in an apartment building, on a terrace, uh, in the backyard, But it was very dangerous for children uh, when I was a kid to be outside at the park uh, uh, or just playing on the street. And uh, that's a a very interesting thing that influenced the way way I work and the way I approach uh, the work with children. Wait a minute. I didn't know that. Yes. So... uh, uh, it's very interesting because I noticed the difference between the gener- generation before mine. So uh, people who are five to seven years older than me uh, and grew up in Milan, they were using, they were playing on the street. And, oh. and we were, and they were climbing trees and then, and we didn't. My goodness. So you were inside. What happened when you were a student? Oh, uh, well, we used the city regularly uh, by knowing that uh, it could be dangerous. And uh, so we had, uh, we were good at running away from people who wanted to rob us. And uh, we, yeah, we knew that, uh, that it's interesting to do risky things sometimes. And so, yeah, well, I have to say the childhood, it was, uh, it was a very interesting childhood anyway. Uh, I had much more freedom during summer vacation when I was so lucky to leave the city with my family and then just experience nature. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely something that uh, helped me thinking a lot about uh, childhood and children's needs, uh, having that type of childhood. I never knew this. We didn't oh, yeah. talk about this before. I wanted to surprise you for the podcast. <laughs> my gosh. Yeah, so you were asking about school. I remember going to school, well, in the very earliest years, just uh, very close by to our apartment building. Uh, But then uh, um, something big happens when I turned 11 and I went to sixth grade. Uh, My parents decided to enroll me into a school, the only school in Milan where they were teaching German as a second language. And uh, to go to that school, I have to catch two, uh, one bus and one tram. 
So suddenly my world, which was really like a micro town <laughs> uh, within the city, became as large as the city. So at the age of 11, I was uh, managing myself in a 1.5 million city. And that was incredibly interesting. By yourself? By myself. At 11, you took a train yeah. and a, wow, and a tram. And- yeah. And that, is, that was totally normal. That's normal. But the tram, you mean you're going up a, a mountain or something? Oh, no, the tram is, uh, sorry, how do you call the tram? Oh, my gosh, in, uh, in English. Uh, um, is it like a subway? Like a, a, a trolley. A trolley. Yeah. Okay. So you still are on the, gra- you're, you're on the ground, but you weren't going up in the air. No, All it right. was just, uh, bit, yeah, the difference was uh, electrified or diesel. but so what was it like in school oh school was uh school was very traditional so i noticed that it was pretty hard for everyone uh being able to express freely their ideas and their creativity uh and that was suffering a bit because often i had the feeling i i almost have no voice in the context. So, and I remember really trying physically to, to cover the need of expressing myself. And so there was a lot of dancing, riding the bike, uh, and uh, yeah, trying to, to, to express myself uh, in a different way. I was listening to like heavy metal uh, <laughs> music. So, so some way I need something... Uh, very intense, that, uh, that helped me uh, discover myself as an individual. Did you, li- I'm just curious, in, in Italian or German, did, <laughs> what music were you listening to? Oh, just- the, the, no, the music was mainly in English, yeah. Oh, we'll have to talk about that, because <laughs> I, I, there's some heavy metal I really like. <laughs> well, I have to say, the interesting thing of growing up uh, as an Italian uh, mother tongue, uh, person and learning German as a second language, then uh, English is still a very far away concept. So I remember loving the music, but I didn't really understand what those people were singing. <laughs> so it's uh, understanding what happens in songs. It's a very recent conquer for me when I started learning English as an adult. It's very funny. Oh, we're going to talk about that because it, you told me about it. It was pretty amazing. So, so you went to this German school and, and learned German. Yes. That must have been hard. As a child, you, you learn whatever. So yeah. emotionally, it's been hard because all my elementary school friends went to traditional uh, schools where first uh, foreign language was English or French. So I lost all my friends. That was the emotional <gasps> part that... Uh, hurt but then obviously you lose friend and you make new friends and i have to say german was very helpful in my life uh, if i if i look at the steps after having been to school and to college so yeah yeah, yeah. so okay so we we talked about you know you, you shared new things to with me now <laughs> <laughs> this is really cool but then you decided to do research later yes on social movements mainly because of everything that was going on in in Milan and everything well right? i was very passionate in studying history 
And so I decided to study history as uh, in college. I was attracted by seeing that uh, you can research on history by uh, observing the perspective of the main facts or by observing what the society, what people did in different ages and how the society developed in different ages. And so... Uh, Thanks to uh, learning German, I had the chance uh, to discover something very interesting that happened in my city many years before I was born. Uh, so I had to write my uh, master thesis. And my professor uh, told me that a friend of his uh, had a daughter who used to go to a school where uh, somebody found uh, a closet full of strange uh, papers in the basement And they were, they, they thought it was, it was written, everything was written in German and nobody was able to understand what, uh, what was written on those papers. So they asked me if I wanted to volunteer and uh, have a look at the, at the material in that closet. And so I went to that school. I went down to the basement. It was also a very interesting experience as a college student. So having the control of the basement and then opening the closet and then I look at these materials and I see that, yes, it was the archive of, a, of an old school that was established in 1867 in Milan by a group of people who uh, came to Milan for business. So there was a group of German and Swiss entrepreneurs who decided to create a new uh, modern textile industry district in, uh, in the area of my hometown, And these people just wanted to make money. So they weren't really interested to live in Milan or, I don't know, enjoy the lakes and, uh, and the art and the culture. So they, they, their plan was to move to Milan with their families for a very short period of time, uh, look for work for local workforces, open factories, and then just uh, go back home and enjoy the revenues. And so uh, basically this group of people who were around 200 people, Uh, moved to Milan, opened the church and the school for their kids. And, uh, and what I found in that closet was, it, that was interesting. So it, it, basically I found only letter of complaint <laughs> <laughs> written by, by parents of those students of that school uh, oh. to the principal. And there was one only matter of complaint. So imagine a, just a traditional school building with a backyard. And at, 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 the, at the end of the backyard, there is a wall that separates the, the school from the, the street. And the kids during recess just used to climb on top of the wall, look over the wall, and then see the passersby and try to chat with them. <laughs> And uh, so what happened is that in, within a few months, these kids learned the dialect of Milan and Italian. And they started using it as a secret language because this is, was, uh, was the plan of that community. They didn't want to, to integrate. They just wanted to stay among each other. Oh, they so, were all German. So all the, all the adults of that community basically didn't learn Italian. And they lived in Milan. And they lived in Milan, and, and, and all of a sudden, all the kids speak Italian. And, and they use it as a secret language to escape their parents' control. <gasps> wow. Okay. And so 
I was supposed to write just the story of a, of an immigrant community in uh, in in in, Italy, in northern Italy, and uh, there is a lot of uh, historical economic theory behind uh, immigrant communities and uh, their social behavior. But I never expected that in the end my thesis was basically about uh, children are social change makers. Oh, I love that. What happened is that through that uh, uh, natural curiosity that children use to thrive in that new environment, uh, the plans of the community changed because uh, the kids wanted to stay. They were they settled. They were able to be independent wow. in Milan. And then I went I went to another archive and I found out that one of the students that uh, enrolled was enrolled in that school 25 years later her, uh, after her en- enrollment she married the mayor of Milan. <laughs> so not just a Milanese person, the mayor. And uh, well that's that's it. So if if you go to Milan and uh, you stop by the apartment buildings in the city center, uh, you look at the buzzers and you still find German names. And uh, mostly are the the people that belong to that community that stay, succeeded. They were great entrepreneurs in uh, also in uh, in cultural sector. So they open. Publishing houses, they they were the first who were working in the record recording industry. So you did say something that that school changed after. Something about the Swiss came in or something else? Oh, yeah, that school, yes. Uh, so, well, what happened is that uh, in during World War One, Germany and Italy weren't allied. They were fighting against each other. So hmm. the German couldn't stay. And the German left and uh, the Swiss family just overtook the management of the school and they called it uh, International Swiss School of Milan. Oh, wow. Yeah. And there is still a Swiss school in Milan, which is uh, directly related to that old school. Well, we could talk about this all day, but I I don't (laughs) want to learn more about you, but I didn't know this about... The, if the Germans had to leave, I'm just curious then what happened. If many of them, you know, integrated and became Milanese. And a lot of people probably didn't yeah. know, right? Yeah, then yeah. many, many were able to stay, but uh, new generations, uh, yeah, definitely left. Yeah. After you graduated and you learned German and everything, you moved to Germany? Yeah, that's interesting. So I worked as a researcher at an institute for the, that was researching on history of social movements. Uh, And uh, what I felt after a couple of years is that I was always alone in a basement looking at uh, very old papers (laughs) and try to reconstruct the history of uh, people who weren't there anymore. So I just missed people. I need to do something where there are people. And I was (laughs) able to speak German. And uh, by chance, really by chance, I bumped into a, a, a very interesting project called the experience field for the development of the senses. Wow. Now, think about an interactive museum where the exhibits are the visitors. And then the decoration of the interactive museum are kind of sculptures, constructions that uh, people approach 
and can interact with, with their senses. But then the, the beautiful thing that happens is that visitors start peacefully challenging each other about their own perceptions and senses. Ooh. And uh, yeah, it, it, it was an incredible place. Also because it was open not only to children, it was a museum that had the concept that uh, everything you can access, you can do it between the age of three and 103. <laughs> so what was your part? What I was you manager of visitor services. So wow. I was the one who was uh, guiding groups into a deeper experience with their senses, but also mm. understanding uh, what needs uh, every different type of visitor has uh, by visiting such a place. So you mentioned, was it one room that you were blind or you were yeah, that, like, yeah. Tell me about that, because that, so, that was amazing. So it was very interesting. Another basement. There are many basements in my life. So there was a, <laughs> there was a basement. The basement of the, of the location of this museum was set up in a way that uh, you enter in a room and everything is just so dark that you don't see light. Hmm. Okay? And, uh, and in that room, suddenly, imagine if you close your eyes now, Maybe it's a good exercise also for the listeners. If you close your eyes now and then you hear a beautiful warm voice coming from that room that says, uh, welcome to my coffee and bar. <laughs> Would you like to have a slice of pie with a beautiful cappuccino? Mm. And then you discover that that place is... Uh, uh, basically a restaurant managed by blind people. So you're walking in. Can you smell? You can smell. So you can smell the coffee? and Of the... course. So you, you really oh. get a sense. But the, the most amazing thing is when uh, there is a deprivation of vision and then there is this warm voice that uh, makes you feel so welcome. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, I, the, Go ahead. No, I'm just thinking of all... Do they still have this museum? I think so. Yeah, it's open. And one of the uh, wow. um, workers in the, in the blind bar is, uh, is my friend Maria. She's still there. I don't know what they're doing now with COVID, but uh, definitely oh. the place is there. Oh, I hope they... I hope they can get it back if they had to close it because you can't touch things, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I hope that's so remarkable. I don't know anyone, any other museum like that. Yeah. And well, there are a couple of projects in Europe about uh, experiencing uh, senses deprivation and appreciating uh, inclusion. Mm -hmm. But uh, that one was, was very particular probably because they, by, by being a, uh, an employee there, I had the chance to work along with these amazing colleagues. And so uh, when there was a lot of, when there were a lot of people in the museum and uh, they needed to take shift and take some rest, then I, I was working there oh. and uh, I spent two, three hours in total darkness attending guests. 
And I have to say that is one of the most incredible experiences that I've taken with me. And now it's also amazing because I can move in the darkness, no problem, everywhere I am. And my my perception of the space is uh, is definitely very accurate and particular based on that experience. <laughs> I Well, did you get a lot of children coming in, like schools? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very interesting when there were children coming alone also. And, wow. Uh, so without without their parents because uh, it was uh, it, mm. it was a real a real test of independence and and ability of functioning in the society. So this is probably where you came up with this idea of embodied learning. I mean, is that what yes. happened? On a certain point, I had the feeling that uh, s- s- this type of experiences is something that everyone needs to have. It can't be limited to a museum that uh, reaches uh, just uh, a small region in Germany. Uh, I needed to pack all these uh, trigger of experiences in two bags, put them in the car and just travel all across Germany, German speaking areas, and then maybe also the rest of Europe and share it with someone who I thought was the right target group. And these were educators. Wow. So that was when? 2008 or yeah, something like that? Yeah, that was 2008. So. Wow. That's big because that was in our t- in the United States. That's when we had our, you know, de- kind of like a recession. And Yeah, we experienced that too over there. So it wasn't the easiest time to start a business. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but the interesting time of crisis is that uh, people are maybe scared, but also curious. So if you begin as a young entrepreneur, you have uh, little prices and, uh, and lots of uh, new things to offer. So I, I was pretty lucky. And uh, yeah. That sounds really cool because uh, I can just, I'm starting to get, some things because we didn't go into all of this when we talked before. And so now I see how you started that. And so um, how long were you doing this in Europe? So I did it in Germany until 2016. Oh, eight years. Yeah. So what did you, what was it? I mean, when you started, did you actually have a physical place? Or, no. or mostly just visiting, you were like a consultant running and doing this? Yes. So my idea was to uh, work as a performance artist. So oh. I, I wanted to consult and give uh, training, but uh, uh, basically my setting was uh, packed in two huge uh, pieces of luggage uh, in my car, and I used to drive to the client and then just... Uh, set up a show by using very simple material, usually just everyday's live material uh, that uh, I am observing and presenting uh, just in a different way. Ah, gosh. Did, did you ever do something where you turned out the lights? I'm just curious. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, yes, the lights were always on. I mean, this, the only experience I couldn't recreate was uh, being in total darkness uh, I am not the person with that skill of not seeing. That's crazy to say that, but this is how, how 
my colleagues of the blind bar were talking and saying, no, we have the skill of not seeing so that we can perceive you in a totally different way. But ah. that, was, that was something I didn't have. So I focused more on uh, 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 gross and fine motor skills and combining tactile experiences and acoustic experiences. And, uh, and then it was very interesting to uh, have adults because this was my target group. I wasn't working with children. I was working with adults who work with children. And I wanted them to some way redo a piece of childhood by Ooh. going through all the natural skills we have from birth. And so if you think of sensory learning, movement, imagination, this is all stuff that we used to learn uh, without having a, a method given by adults. So basically, oh, yeah. everything that happens in our body, or let me say it even better, our body is our first educational system. Well, I'm just, I wrote this in my book, my Define Your Why, was basically the first time they see a child sees their hand and then they're looking at it, it's like, oh, I just learned what, I have a hand here. It might be attached to my body. We're curious, our, our, you know, we're constantly searching. And so you're, this is just remarkable what you're doing, this idea of using the body and encouraging people to move and learn more about themselves. And so the, the work was about uh, appreciating learning in a way it gushes from children so that mm -hmm. the educator understands what is really their work. I, I always invested a lot of energy in explaining that we don't need to be direct instructors. We can oh. just observe how learning happens and then assist when it's necessary to have even more learning happening. I think that's how we found each other. Because, you know, I did the whole thing on personalized learning and how yeah. you can let go. And yeah, yeah, it was really cool. So you moved in 2016 to the United States. But you have a family. Did you have your family there? In no, it was very interesting. So I, it's a, it's a too long story to tell here on the podcast, but some way <laughs> around 2012, I got in touch with my, who my wife is now. Uh, and my wife back in the day used to live in New York. Ah. And so we started a very interesting uh, relationship uh, yeah, with uh, an ocean between us. And oh. then on a certain point, we need to, needed to decide what to do together. Uh, I was very curious to bring embodied learning over to the United States because uh, in the years I've decided to, to move, uh, digital learning was becoming a thing. And uh, most of the companies that were promoting digital learning were based in the United States. And, uh, and in Europe, the perception of uh, learning by using technology was considered a revolution, but people didn't have tools to understand how to do what to do, uh, mm -hmm. how to transition education in a new system. And so I was just very curious to uh, have a look in person at... Uh, yeah, what's going on in the United States? So I just said, okay, I, I always have my 
my project with two big size luggages, I can just uh, uh, watch a couple of TV series and learn English very quickly. So <laughs> I started. I started by watching Seinfeld, and then uh, I moved to Breaking Bad. Then I watched The West Wing, which was too difficult. I couldn't couldn't understand anything. And then my my wife, who used to live in New York, but she's not an American. She's Australian. She used to speak a totally different accent. So English for me, it's been exactly like being in the darkened room where my colleagues used to work, only an acoustic experience. So I've tried, I basically decided to learn English without going to school just by listening. Oh my goodness, you speak it very well. I'm amazed. Did it have, knowing German help? Yeah, it, well, it helps. It's very interesting because uh, German is basically a very complex form of English. Oh, so, so I could learn German. <laughs> I should try that. Well, the, the hard work is uh, of learning English after you've learned German is that you need to deconstruct and simplify a language, which uh-huh. is a very interesting operation because... Uh, Basically, it's like uh, going to therapy. You clear your mind <laughs> and and you learn to express yourself in a much more impactful and simple way. So English is simpler than German. <laughs> but, but, it's, but it has the same depth. You have just to, oh, it has the same depth. It's you just... have just to find the right way to say things. Well, we'll talk a little more about this in <laughs> another time because I, there are things when people tell me when they learn English, they go... What does it mean to eat like a horse or something? You know, the idioms, the, oh, the weird okay. things. Oh, yes. They don't make any sense. And so you have a family. I so do tell have a us, family. Tell, me, tell about it, your family, and then we'll go into anybody learning. And unfortunately, I may have to yeah, pull have it to. together because I, <laughs> but I told you I could talk to you all day. You're just amazing. So your family. So my family, uh, yes, my wife, Rebecca, she's, yes, from Australia. And uh, at the moment, she's doing something amazing. She's a career changer, and she's becoming a horticulturist. <gasps> so we're going back to nature some way. Oh, I love that. If it's outside your apartment, or is it in a, it'll be interesting. Yeah, well, now in uh, we, we live in, in Queens, and uh, we did it in boxes on in the driveway and then uh, yeah let, let let's see how it will continue oh we'll have to take some pictures and add to those that's and your children and then there is my my son my stepson nico who is oh, eight. Nico. yeah wow. and uh yeah nico nico is amazing i mean uh nico nico is uh Nico has been the tester of all the embodied learn the transition of embodied learning between Europe and the United States. So if if I'll be greatly successful in the future, I have to thank just one person and this is Nico. Well, I saw some of the videos and we're going to put the embed the some, you know, maybe one or two and it's Nico that's with you and he, he's darling. So pull together what embodied learning that you offer and uh, some of the fun things that you do with the educators, because that would be good. And, and parents, actually, because I think parents could do this now with home learning since we have uh, 
this pandemic, you know? Yeah, well, embodied learning is, uh, as an in-person, very active, very experiential training program. But uh, yeah, due to the pandemic, I had to figure out how to do it in a different way. And uh, even if I've been uh, skeptical about technology for a long time, because I was doing so well just by having my body and everybody else's body in action, uh, then I needed to find a way to do it uh, differently, virtually. And so the first thing, the first target group I thought about were parents, because I realized that every parent was kind of panicking, especially at the, in, in spring at the, at the end of the school year last year. And so I, I thought uh, I should make some videos that address parents. Uh, and I just want to show them what they could try to do at home on their own in uh, a couple of minutes. And, uh, and then I wanted to ask parents to watch the video, try out on their own what was happening in the video, and then definitely turn the screen off and get in touch with their kids and do something together. Amazing. I, I've watched a few and they were uh, unbelievable. So we're going to share a few of the ideas and I'd love to see if you do some things virtually with some schools too, because I think I've been able to do some virtual uh, workshops. Yes. So yeah, virtual workshop is something that sounds better than webinar also. Uh, because <laughs> it has action in it, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I thought uh, um, I would like to go back to my main uh, group of interest, educators, early childhood educators. And uh, yeah, I started in August uh, um, a series of uh, webinars, uh, which I call always virtual engagement for remote learning. And Ooh, I like that. Uh, and uh, I, it's interesting because uh, instead of uh, explaining to educators immediately what to do with children, for the first time I focus on educators. And I have the feeling that during this pandemic, the, the personal relationship with uh, an educator is what children are missing. So another adult outside of their family. And so my focus is to support educators in understanding how to arrive to children in the best way possible while they are on camera. So we are working on body language. We are working on their perception of space. We are working on their perception of uh, teaching. We work on light, natural light, acoustics. And uh, once I'm sure that the educator is happy to be on camera because the body is happy to be there and share something, then, then I, I start talking about children and parents. And it's also mm. interesting because I want to, I, I, I created this concept that parents are not teachers, but pa uh, partners in learning. And, uh, oh, and I, I like that. And I share these, uh, this concept with the educators who have these very, new task now they have to collaborate with a team of parents mm -hmm. and at this point they also need to have some leadership skills because you need to guide parents you need to support parents there is where my videos help well it's it's so tough i hear from 
teachers, parents, and students how this time is really difficult. But if they have some little joy and play and figure out ways that they can move, because some are not going outside. They're, oh yeah, like like you were in the, when you were a young child. You were, you know, they're they're now in the same situation in a lot of places. So that is very interesting. That actually, what I've experienced as a child feels very similar to what children have have been experiencing in the past months. And it's all around the world. So if you put some of these workshops together on virtual engagement for remote learning, I see a lot of people interested around the world. This is something that you could do. And so we talked about this before we started, but I always ask everyone, what is your why? And Mm -hmm. I think you touched on it. Why don't you just share? But be careful what you share. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. I'm I'm always very provocatory. Uh, (laughs) So my why, my why is why... Adults generally don't remember how childhood is. And I mean, every individual is different, so every childhood was also different. But uh, mm-hmm. the approach to childhood could be so interesting if we had a better memory of what that was. And sometimes I have the feeling probably there is always in every childhood something that maybe went wrong or people want to forget because it's not a pleasant memory. And there I think embodied learning could be interesting because uh, we could redo the piece of childhood that we forgot about as adults to understand childhood better. Oh, so your why is to get us all to become our ch- the child in us again and really appreciate I mean, the thing is, is that we all have that joy and we can play and we can find ourselves through play and and doing the embodied learning, basically. Um, I tried some of those with you and they were fun. And so I'm I'm excited that you your why is beautiful, by the way. That's for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tom, this is just wonderful. I, I'm so excited that we got to do this again and have this podcast because I think people need to know what you're doing and, and your story. Every time I talk to you, you share something new. So that <laughs> that's the problem wonderful. when you talk to someone who studied history, there is, there are so many stories to tell and then you can trust, well, you can transform everything in your story. Oh. And that's, that's probably the good thing. Well, and by the way, today, the day we're recording is the 100th birthday of Johnny Rodari was one of the biggest pedagogues and story makers uh, in the Italian culture. So there, Google has the doodle for about him today. Oh, I'm going to look up. We'll put a link to that okay. so people know. Of course. People need to know about history, the real history. And that story you shared about the school, the German school, and working in the basement and... I hope you write a blog post about that. I, I think you need to tell your stories more because these are just beautiful. Yeah, I've, there is there is an interview that uh, soon I will put on, on my website uh, about all this. So I'm looking forward to it since it's time where, you know, things are changing and I'm yeah. relaunching stuff. So, yeah, soon that interview will be available also. Oh, this is wonderful. Um, virtual hug. Thank you. 
this was wonderful. And uh, we'll just have to definitely keep talking. Thank you very much. Uh, keep, yeah, keep listening to, to stories and uh, try everything out. Let me let, tell you the very last anecdote. Uh, one day I was in the pool uh, in Italy. And uh, suddenly next to me, there is uh, a child that emerges out of the water, super excited, looks around for his parents, and then he finds his dad and he goes, dad, dad, by chance, I've licked the bottom of the pool. <laughs> so you... <laughs> that, that's embodied learning. Oh, I love it. You just never know. If you just open your eyes and, and swim or do whatever, what experience you can have. That was beautiful. I'm not, I'm not going to go lick the bottom of the pool, but I really... <laughs> but, but you got it. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> Thank you very much. You made my day, Barbara. You, you made mine. Thank you. <laughs> Take care. You Bye. too. Bye. This is Barbara Bray. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning Podcast and my conversation with Tomas Solana. Make sure you check out the blog post that goes with this podcast about Tom on my Rethinking Learning website. It includes his story, how he learned German, the interactive museum, embodied learning, redoing childhood, especially during uncertain times. So you can subscribe to my website at barbabray.net to receive announcements, updates, and you can even check out the guiding questions for my book, Define Your Why. I hope you subscribe to my podcast because we'll be sharing ideas and stories during this crisis. And now we need each other more than ever. All of our stories matter. Keep sharing your story and please stay healthy and safe.